Welcome FEI Engage subscribers to this episode of Power Skills. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Stephanie Mockler. She is a leadership consultant coach at Vantage and industrial organizational psychologist. We're going to talk about developing your leadership style in the early days of your career. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Olivia. I'm excited for the conversation. So am I. I, I would love for you to start with a little background on you and why you are a great person to talk about this with me. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I would go back to my education and my training in industrial organizational psychology. What that really is, is learning how to apply science and psychological theory to the workplace. And for the past decade, I've been working in the leadership space where I'm working with early career leaders, first-time managers up through the C-suite to help them navigate their context at work, to build important leadership skills, to navigate challenge. And many of those professionals that I had the opportunity to work with are coming straight out of college, really just launching their careers. And a lot of the skills that I help them build, I think will be really relevant for our conversation today and your audience. What are some examples of leadership style. So I just did an interview with Aaron Anderson, who's with PayPal, and he described himself as a servant leadership. So that was one example, but I'd love for you to share some other examples of leadership styles as these, you know, these early career folks are starting to their early days thinking about what kind of leader do I want to be? First of all, do I want to be a leader? And then if I do, what would that look like? So tell me what you think. There are truly a myriad of leadership styles, and there's a lot of different authors and frameworks out there that you could find that would talk about leadership in different ways. But I think they really all boil down to a couple of different leadership approaches. Servant leadership would certainly be one of them, and that's really defined as being putting yourself in a position of servicing others, right? Not seeing yourself as the manager of subordinates, but rather seeing yourself as someone who's there to serve uh, your team and, and your people. Another style that is becoming more and, and more less prevalent, and hopefully that continues, is more of a command and control leadership style. So this style is typically indicated by people who are just telling others what to do, right? So uh, telling you that I need this done by this date and not really leaving space for a lot of discussion or collaboration. That would be distinguished from a more collaborative consensus building leadership style. So these are the leaders that tend to solicit a lot of input from their team. They run ideas past everyone and they really seek to build consensus and get a lot of buy-in before they move things forward or delegate work or decide on the priorities. That style is one that I've seen become increasingly important and effective, especially given the hybrid context so many of us are finding ourselves in these days. Then the last that I would mention is more of an inspirational, charismatic leadership style. These are the people that generate a lot of energy and enthusiasm. They're usually pie in the sky thinkers. They're really strategic and people tend to like to follow them because their style and their energy is pretty attractive and it can be uh, quite uh, addictive to be around them because you feel that contagious energy and enthusiasm too. That's so interesting. I, I see definitely some overlap between them, but then very specific differentiators, I guess what, you know, with this, with this audience, 
how can they start to even think about what direction makes sense for them? Um, I'm, and I'm asking too, because at, uh, I actually shouldn't even say their age, because it's not about age, but at that, but in an early point in your career, um, you might not be the person, the same person that you're going to be by the time you reach, you know, a leadership level. So I imagine it can't just be based on your own personality. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different angles we could go with there. I think the first is, and we say this advantage a lot, but leadership is not one size fits all. And the best leaders evolve and transform themselves and their styles over time, because there's each person in an individual context and their personality and their natural styles and capabilities that certainly shapes someone's style. But then we're always encouraging people to consider, well, what are you trying to achieve here? What's the context? What's the team you're working with? And how can you marry up how you might naturally show up as a leader with what this situation needs from you? So that's, I think, just broad context. And then in terms of how they can start to figure out what style might be a good fit for them, I would encourage people to really do some reflective exercises and think about where are the where are the moments where they feel that they're at their best? What are they most drawn to? What are the sorts of things they find themselves doing in their free time, for example? What feedback have they received from professors, colleagues, students, friends? What are the sorts of messages that they seem to hear over and over again? Asking those sorts of questions and even seeking out that type of feedback is going to provide a lot of insight for folks into the sort of natural style that might be a good fit for them. And then you know, each person gets to decide, is that actually the style that I want to lead with? Or are there skills I need to build that can help me be the type of leader that I really am looking to be? That makes perfect sense. How do you think leadership has changed since, you know, we're, we're all in probably some sort of either remote or hybrid uh, work situation at this point? Yeah, I think that there are some foundational leadership capabilities that will always be important and have not necessarily changed even as we shift into this hybrid, largely remote working worlds. Those are things like being able to effectively communicate, to to set a goal and, and get people aligned around it, to delegate and get other people to uh, stretch themselves and take on increasingly challenging work. I think what's really changed is how intentional and strategic leaders need to be with regard to creating opportunities for connection, making sure they have the right level of face time with their teams, and really also creating spaces where their team can collaborate, can brainstorm, can learn together. That's a lot more challenging in certainly a remote world, but even more so in a hybrid context. I think some of the most difficult sessions that I run and the leaders that I'm working with that struggle the most are those that find themselves having one foot in both worlds, right? Maybe half their teams co-located in person, the other half are zooming in. That's hard because you have these two mediums that you're trying to make everyone feel included and able to bring their best. So that that's, I think, some of the challenges leaders are facing now and some of the changes we'll have to make to continue to be effective in this environment. So I know we talked about this already, but for college students specifically who haven't even begun really their, their careers, 
my question is how should they be thinking about their leadership potential? But what I really, I think want to know is should they be thinking about their leadership potential? You mentioned some great things, listening to feedback, kind of being open to uh, the idea that your style is going to evolve as you grow in your career, but is it even appropriate to be thinking about that or, or what do you think? Yes, absolutely. I think, I think people should be thinking about where they want to head in their career and whether that path involves management or leadership responsibility, or if it's more of a expert technical leader path. And I think that the reason I think it's important to start thinking about is because it takes a lot of effort and, and, uh, intention, right. And time to build leadership skills. No one's just born ready to go lead a team. Sometimes people mistakenly believe that, and then they quickly find out that that's not the case. So I think the earlier people can start to explore whether they want to lead the better equipped they're going to be to make the right decision for themselves. So if people are even curious about leadership and have a a sense that they might want to lead in the future, it's a good time early on in your career to start raising your hand for team lead roles to say, hey, I'd like to lead that project. Maybe you don't have an actual team reporting into you, but you're leading a cross-functional team that's coming together to, to, to lead the charge on some effort. Those types of uh, opportunities, raising your hand to take them on is going to give people a really good sense of, hey, is this something I actually like? Am I energized by this? Do I want to do more of this? And sometimes the answer is no, and that's perfectly okay too. But I think the earlier you can find out, the better able you'll be to actually get yourself headed in the right direction from a career perspective. Yeah. I love what you said about, does it make you feel energized? And, and also that it's okay if it's not, if it doesn't feel right to you, um, because we certainly don't need more crummy leaders. Right. (laughs) And, and, and unfortunately that's sort of the way that it works as, as we progress in our career we tend to be assigned people um, to report to us. And that's really not always appropriate. In fact, I would argue that it's it's probably more often not appropriate um, because are people really taking the time and the steps to think about what kind of leader do I wanna be? How can I be an effective leader? How can I better my team and, and et cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that you're that you're sort of condoning the feeling of like, oh, maybe this isn't the right thing for me. I can progress in my career without being necessarily in a leadership or a, a management position, right? And I can't tell you how many leaders I've worked with that were placed into that role and then quickly find out that, hey, this actually isn't for me. I'm not energized. I'm drained. I want to hide from my team. You know, this is, I miss the, the sort of technical of work that I was doing that gave me more independence and autonomy. And oftentimes the story there is those individuals didn't do enough exploration to get a sense of if that was the right role for them. And then they were a really strong performer. The opportunity arose for a leadership role. They were placed into it and they realized, wow, this is actually a really different than what I was doing before. And it's not different in a good way. Now, there's certainly many stories that where the opposite's true and people realize they do really enjoy and appreciate leadership and want to keep doing more of it. But I do think it's upon the individual themselves to start to get a sense of what they want, because then they can make those decisions in an informed way versus just saying, sure, why not? You know, I'll take on the role because then you're in a tough position to have to try to get out of it. And I've coached people 
to have that conversation where they say, I, I would really want to go back to an individual contributor role. This isn't a good fit for me. And that's not an easy conversation. Yeah, that, that was kind of my next question is, so if somebody comes to you and has been placed in a leadership position that they are either poorly equipped for or don't enjoy, how do you help them? I mean, let's say they, they can't really change course um, immediately. So how do you help them? It's a great question. And I'll give you a, actually a tangible example of someone that I coached recently with this exact same scenario. And he was realizing that he didn't quite, he didn't quite estimate time right. And he was spending so much of his time just coaching people, helping people solve problems, sometimes dealing with interpersonal issues on his team. And those were leadership behaviors and, and needs that he just didn't quite know were going to be part of his role. And those were the things that actually were actually weighing him down. He was really excited about bringing the team together, setting a vision, problem solving, brainstorming, the things that were really draining for him were where interpersonal conflict and things that just seemed like, gosh, I'm really having to help you think through X issue. Can't you figure this out yourself? Those were the sorts of things that were draining him. But after we had a series of conversations, we realized that it wasn't that he didn't want to continue to help and lead in this way. It was just that he didn't feel equipped at all to be able to have those sorts of conversations. And so he ended up deciding that he actually did want to continue to pursue management and leadership, but he really needed to build some specific skills for conflict management, being able to help people navigate tough uh, human issues, et cetera, in order to feel confident enough to continue to lead. That's such an interesting scenario. And I've, I actually have a bunch of questions about it. I think one is, did you think that he needed to set some, what, what I'll call healthy boundaries with his team? Like how much of that is appropriate for a leader to have to deal with? I know it's, it depends on the culture of the company, but, uh, I don't know. What was your, what was your reaction to that? Yes, you're spot on. One of the things he did have to do was set boundaries with regard to what are the conversations we should be having versus when should I refer you to human resources, for example, or when should I say, thanks for sharing that with me. I would really encourage you to get some support in, uh, you know, in this way. And because he was so inexperienced and didn't have a lot of training, he just didn't even know when to advise people in that way or when to set that boundary. And so having those discussions and getting honestly crystal clear and, and I was a bit prescriptive with him and saying, here's a place where you need to bring HR in, right? If someone's talking about a health issue, something that they're dealing with you know, outside of work that's impacting their performance, you can certainly help coach them through how, how can they manage their time or what do they need to do to amp up their performance. And they need to be talking with HR as well if they need some true accommodations in the workplace. That's not necessarily a decision you can make. And he just didn't even know that that was an option because he didn't know what he didn't know. And I think he was empowered then once he realized, I actually don't have to deal with every single thing that comes to my desk from my team. I can just you know, help them go to someone else and figure it out without having to be the one that solves their problems, which when he first came into the role, he did feel like, oh gosh, I have to solve every problem that my team brings to me because that's my role as a leader. It's really not, uh, but that can be something that is hard to know about until you're actually in it. 
Yeah. Because I'm feeling like just because you want to be a leader or you want to lead a team does not necessarily mean you have to be there a mediator or even a coach, right? That if that's not really your style, but then that makes me think, is it chicken or the egg? Like, should the leader adapt to his or her specific team? Right. I mean, because it sounds like this individual had a team where there sounds like there was quite a bit of conflict and interpersonal stuff going on. It sounds like that was actually a bad fit for him, but yeah, what a tricky thing. Yeah. In that case too, it was a lot of some of the mess that was left over from the prior leader that he was picking up on this team that he inherited. And he was able to actually nip some of that interpersonal stuff in in the bud because he set a different set of expectations. He changed the sort of the tenor and culture of the team, or at least that's what he was intending to do over time. But the prior leader didn't set those sorts of boundaries. And so the team was just expecting that the new manager would show up in the same way. And it's, it's a bit of both and, right? I think there has to be some adaptation on both sides, both on the leader's part and the team's part to figure out how to create good working relationships with people who have different personalities and preferences and expectations. And it's certainly the leader's job to be able to open up the floor to have those sorts of conversations. But then the team too needs to think about how do we need to manage up and how can we show up well with this new leader who is very different than our former one. So that was another part of the coaching for that individual. A very interesting case, as I'm sure you can, you can glean. <laughs> yeah, I, I swear I have even more questions. <laughs> well, it's just, it, I think I can imagine um, certain, and you did mention that it, it was a, a man. So I actually, not to be unfair, but I can imagine some men in my life who would be like, ah, in that scenario. And the prior um, leader was a woman. And so that there, there was that, that other, you know, right. kind of shift. It was a big mm-hmm. shift all around. Mm-hmm. And I think back to the underestimation, I think the new leader who was elevated into that role, and honestly, probably that leader's manager as well, underestimated what it would take to set him up for success with this team he inherited. Yeah, that's a great point too. So you mentioned that he was giving away too much of his time. That sounds like a leadership mistake to me that you've probably seen many times. What are some others that you see um, maybe specifically for those who are kind of growing in their leadership? Yeah. Oh gosh, several of them. One that comes to mind for earlier career professionals growing into their leadership is assuming that they shouldn't promote themselves or talk about the accomplishments for themselves or their team. I work with so many people that are very heads down, accomplishing great things, getting results because they're not a squeaky wheel. Their boss maybe isn't spending as much time with them because they're just doing really well. And then when it comes time for a promotion or a bonus or something like this, they assume they're going to get it because of all the great work they're doing but they didn't actually take the time to say, Hey, let me bring you into the loop on all the stuff my team's doing. Here's what we accomplished. Here's what we did this month, this quarter, this year. And because they didn't do that, people actually weren't aware of all that they were accomplishing. So that's mistake one. And people often think of self-promotion as uncomfortable and maybe sleazy to sales-like, and it can be done in a really effective strategic way. And 
what I'm often coaching people to do is recognize that your, your manager and boss is really busy. So you're actually helping your manager. If you can summarize some of what you're accomplishing and bring it to their awareness so that now they know because they want to know, but if you don't do that, you're leaving it up to them to go figure it out. And they've got a ton on their plate, right? Just like everyone else. So that's one. The second that I see often is trying to dump a lot of information on people to prove credibility and knowledge. And so many people I see sending, you know, really long emails or just sharing too much detail and information when in reality, if you just could boil it down to a couple headlines or a couple bullet points, that's actually going to be more impactful for senior leaders and others in the workplace. But I think people coming out of school you know, you're used to writing all these papers and having to cite your resources and improve your work. And so that mindset is a shift that needs to be made pretty quickly that you're here in this role for a reason. You no longer have to prove your work. Now you need to turn your work into something that's impactful and easy to digest. Yeah, I love that. The long-winded communication feels like a coming, that it's coming from a place of some insecurity, maybe. And so- you know, I could see some people just growing out of it, but I could also see people just continuing to do it and thinking that it's effective and not necessarily realizing that it's, it's actually probably doing the opposite effect. Exactly. Exactly. And you're losing, or you're losing your audience and you're mm-hmm. actually having, you're actually undermining your impact, right. Versus being really impactful. So, yeah. And, yeah. and also you're not really demonstrating trust when you're like over explaining things. Um, because, mm-hmm you know, if, if you're to demonstrate trust would be to say, here's, here's what I'm expecting. And you can come to me with questions if, you know, if there's any confusion, right. Absolutely. But I trust you to, that, you know, how to handle this. Yeah. Um, also wondering if someone kind of thinks of themselves as an introvert, um, or not necessarily like a people person, should mm-hmm. they just count themselves out as a future leader? What do you think? Absolutely not. No, no, no. I think that uh, what what needs to happen there is for those who would identify as being more introverted to figure out how can they let some of their strengths, their natural strengths that likely come along with being more introverted shine in a leadership role. So really being able to listen deeply, creating strong one-on-one relationships, leaving a lot of space for others to lead and for the spotlight to be shown on others in the team as well. These are a lot of natural strengths that I see from more introverted leaders who I work with. But I think that we're in this world where if you're not um, talking all the time and sharing your perspective, you can easily be overlooked and your potential for leadership might be overlooked. So I think going back to the leadership isn't one size fits all piece. I think all different sorts of personality styles can lend to strong leadership capabilities. So long as people are able to internalize and ground themselves in the strengths that they bring. More often than not, I see more introverted leaders assume that either A, they're not, set, they're not suited for leadership roles because they're too introverted, or B, they're trying to actually be more extroverted and trying to be something they're not, which requires a lot of energy and is very draining rather than really just stepping back and saying, well, what are the strengths that I bring to the table based on how I naturally am showing up and how can I lead more with those strengths versus versus trying to be something else. Um, 
there's a book. Oh, actually, have it right here. Uh, that's called Quiet: The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by an author, Susan Kane. Fantastic book for anyone who is more introverted but knows that they might want to lead. It's a it's a perfect fit. I think that you know, as you were talking, it made me realize that. I'm actually somebody who probably would prefer a leader nor a manager who, who was a little bit more introverted, introverted, just because I I'm, I'm self-motivated. And so I don't like to feel micromanaged and, um, that I think the way that you just described the potential for somebody who is introverted as a leader, uh, it was very inspiring. It actually made me feel like, oh, that I think that's actually preferable maybe to um, an extrovert. And, and it made me think back to earlier in our conversation when you were talking about that charismatic leader. And I think culturally, that's who we imagine as the future leaders. And, uh, and listening ability is so much more important, right, than uh, than necessarily, you know, being a really strong public speaker. <laughs> Absolutely. For, in a leadership role, yes, because that is the type of leader that people are going to bring, bring problems to, mm-hmm. that they know there's space for them. They don't feel like they're constantly having to battle to get a word in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't, it, there, there's a lot of strengths that extroverted leaders bring too, but I think the, you know, the things they have to manage for themselves compared to the things that an introvert might have to manage are just very different. So the extroverted leader has to think about, am I talking more than I'm listening? Am I leaving space for others? Am I sucking the energy out of the room because I'm so visionary and charismatic that I think everyone wants to hear what I have to say and really people's eyes are glazing over and it's stifling conversation, right? So it's, there's just different focus areas, depending on where you naturally fall on that spectrum. Yeah. I guess that leads me to my next question, which is, okay, if you consider yourself an extrovert, uh, and you're somebody who likes to talk and I would probably put myself in this category. Um, but you would like to be a, a, a leader who does listen and who makes room for other opinions and, um, and is not, as you said, taking, going to suck all the energy out of the room. What are some recommendations you have for them as they develop? So I can speak both from a place of personal experience for myself, as well as for other leaders that I've coached. I'd also consider myself more on the extroverted side. Although actually I I think I'm more ambiverted, which is sort of in the middle where you, you need, you know, a bit of both uh, downtime and solo time to recharge, but that when you're with people, you light up and you're quite talkative and sociable. The thing that I, typically encourage extroverts to do is to really look around and identify on your team, those that you think are more introverted, that are less inclined to speak up, and then make it your mission to ask for their input first, to ask what they think in a team setting before anyone else is able to jump on the question. Because naturally your your extroverts on the team are going to be the ones that jump on the question first and your introverts are tending to listen But often what that looks like then is the introverts never get to share their perspective, even though they have great thinking to contribute. So I think it's upon the leader, especially the more extroverted leader, to really intentionally create that space and make it such that those introverts feel that their voice is is wanted and also is reflected in the ultimate conversation. I love that. So you mentioned quiet. 
which sounds like a great resource. What are some other helpful research resources for future leaders for those who are interested? So I, I have a book that actually a colleague and friend just released in April and it's called stop, ask, explore, learn to navigate change in times of uncertainty. It's by Joan Ball. And she is a professor and has been for uh, over a decade. And she realized that a lot of the students that were coming out of college weren't actually equipped with the tools to be able to reflect, to learn about themselves, to zoom out and explore possibility because that the student mindset is so focused on performance, getting grades, following the syllabus. And so she designed this book to be for professionals who are navigating increasingly uncertain environments and contexts to be able to make informed decisions and to go through a, a process of exploration for themselves as they as they essentially discern what they want in the future. So book that I highly recommend and have been recommending to anyone I can lately because it really fills a gap, I think, in a need in the leadership space. There's also another book that I have called Millennials Guide to Workplace Politics, What No One Ever Told You About Power and Influence. And it's a really actionable read. It's actually a book that's meant to go through to each chapter and get some tips and strategies for a challenge you might have. That's another thing that I think early career professionals are sometimes surprised by is the political nature within organizations and trying to figure out navigate politics and power is really tough. Uh, when you aren't used to that sort of context. So that's another book I'd recommend uh, for anyone to pick up. Good for you know anyone, but certainly early career pro professionals would benefit. So interesting because uh, we have an upcoming power skills session about kind of navigating or even, even discovering company culture in a remote environment, right? And so like I never had the experience of starting at a company, at a new company in a remote role. And uh, I, I think that's really challenging for people to get a sense of what the culture is, to, to find their place in the company when every interaction that you have is something scheduled and, and probably work-related. Um, yeah. And so you made me think of that with the workplace politics. Like I find workplace politics very confusing and, um, and like, it's not in my, uh, comfort zone. Yeah. Whereas like my husband, he's like, it's, it's, uh, he's always like a couple steps ahead. I feel like, um, so a lot of times I have to ask him what he thinks, but I imagine that a remote or even hybrid environment makes that even harder. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. even things like where are people's offices, who's going into whose office to have side conversations, who pairs up in a meeting when you're in a conference room and sits next to each other. These are all sorts of clues that you can get when you're physically together with colleagues yeah. to help you understand where power lives and who has influence and who do people go to for decisions and advice. And yeah, you just don't get to see that when you're onboarding in a, in a solely remote, remote workplace. Yeah. And it makes it really hard to identify where politics exists because they're everywhere, right? Sometimes they're more apparent, sometimes they're hidden, but being able to identify what sort of politics exist in that organization are going to help people um, prevent stepping on landmines. Mm -hmm. uh, so this book offers certainly some good insight to this, but 
I always encourage people to, to find those that have more tenure within the company and set up time with them and do a bit of a listening tour to ask them, what are the assumptions here in this organization? What are the things that I'm, nobody will tell me, but uh, we all know to go straight to Olivia to get X task done because she's the one that's going to help you push it forward, even though she's not the owner, right? Those sorts of things. If people can proactively find some of that out early on, that can be really helpful. Yeah, because it's totally unfair for more tenured people to have those keys uh, and, and the newer people to, to not. And so again, I think it is even harder now if you're, if you're a remote office to figure that out. Um, so I, I empathize with people in that, in that position. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is as a, as a coach yourself, when is it too early to seek out, you know, the help of a, of a a career coach? And then, you know, if you are interested in doing that and, and when it's appropriate, should you go to your company for that? I know all companies work differently, but like, do you go to your boss and ask and how does it typically work? It's a fantastic question. I'm certainly biased here. So let me just preface what I'm going to say with that. I think it's never too early to seek out a coach. I think that depending on where you're at in your career, the type of coach that you might seek out should be different. So someone who's earlier career trying to you know, chart a path forward for themselves might benefit from working with a career focused coach who can help them build some self insight and put together a plan of action for the next year. And that might be a month long engagement where you have three to four coaching sessions with someone and you come out of it with deeper self-awareness and a roadmap for how you want to continue to navigate your career. Someone who's mid-career or, or later might want to seek out someone like myself, who's a leadership executive coach, where I'm mostly helping people that are either first-time managers, some emerging leaders, but people that have some direct reports reporting into them. And that requires someone who has some expertise in leadership, organizational behavior, teaming, et cetera. And then there's very specific coaches who have very defined areas of expertise that you can uh, seek out when you're having a specific challenge that you're looking to get some help navigating. So uh, the author of this book on workplace politics, for example, might do a couple of one-off coaching sessions with someone who's really struggling to figure out how to best influence in a highly political environment. That might be a time to seek out a coach like that. So I'll stop there. I could, I could go on, but I think that's the most important advice I could give is really get a sense of why do you want a coach? What sorts of challenges are you looking for support with? And then what does that mean about the type of coach you should seek out? Second, yeah, that makes sense. To answer your second question with regard to, to where do you go first, I think always go first to your manager and, and HR or talent within the organization and see if you can get a resource from them. They might actually have a solution and a recommendation. And if you can get some of that covered, fantastic. If that doesn't work, you know, then you can decide if you want to pay out of pocket. But I think going to the company first is, is always going to be the best bet. Stephanie, thank you so much. I, I have learned so much myself. And so I know everybody watching is, is going to um, pick up a lot of really useful um, tips and you shared some great resources. And uh, I think my big takeaway is that it's definitely never too early to start thinking about 
what kind of leader you want to be, if you want to be a leader, and then also to just be prepared for that style to change and evolve and grow and, um, and that there are different ways of, of doing it. And it doesn't, every leader doesn't have to look the same. Um, so I just love what you shared. I think it was very encouraging and inspiring. So thank you so much. Of course, I'm happy to help that. I get a lot of, uh, satisfaction from having these sorts of conversations and helping people navigate their career. So if somebody gets one nugget of insight from this, that helps them, that's time well spent from my perspective. That's how I feel too. So, and I, and I, and I, I know for sure that that has, that will happen as people watch this. So thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, of course. Thank you.